Comments and Reactions to Patriarchs and Prophets, Chapter 7, The Flood. Now, welcome to Patriarchs and Prophets, Chapter 7, The Flood's Comments, Reactions on this very interesting topic. And I'd just like to say, this, I think, is probably one of the longest chapters in this book, which is... Which is okay, because this is a very pivotal chapter. Took me a long time to record this one. Anyway, so for first things first, I'm just going to go straight to the antediluvians part. Okay, so if you're wondering, if you were following along, I'll be doing my comments and reactions for this one in succession to the order of some parts here in this chapter that I find interesting. So I'm going to talk about that. So you can follow along if you want. Anyway, so first thing I'm going to talk about is, I think, the antediluvians. So I'm, I'm basing on page 90, paragraph 3 right now. It says here, Not desiring to retain God in their knowledge, they soon came to deny his existence. They adored nature in place of the God of nature, the glorified human genius, worshipped the works of their own hands, and taught their children to bow down to graven images. Now, the moment I read this, the reason why this is interesting to me is that if you take this situation and apply it to today, it fits. Like, not desiring to retain God in their knowledge, they soon came to deny his existence. We have very common thing. Let me just talk about science for a bit. Science today is aimed at reducing God's role in anything scientific to as much as possible, which is why we have theory of evolution in place of creation. And if you've been a good student of the theory of evolution, Latest updates would tell you that the recent findings, I think, that happened just last October, yes, this last month, as of this recording, I think October 2020, they found another archaeological find which, which had to make them push back the timeline yet again because, you know. But the point here is, they want to deny God his existence. Right, and in place of God's wisdom is human genius, and that's very true. That's exactly what I see today. I don't know about you, but you know, we we glorify human genius, we glorify science, not just in terms of evolution, but in many other things. For example, um, medicine, health. We glorify the human genius of how to solve these problems. But we don't go ahead and consult the designer, right? Anyway. And also teaching their children to bow down to graven images. I'll probably discuss that in the long term. Anyway. So another part here is in, I think, page 91, paragraph 2. Just a, a line, a really short line. It is a law of the human mind that by beholding we become changed. Man will rise no higher than his conceptions of truth, purity, and holiness. Have you ever thought about that? Like, 
like a lot of people read the Bible, but they don't see it the same way. You know what I mean? And where do we really spend time on? I mean, we want we want to be above humanity without letting go of humanity. I don't know if that makes any sense, but let me read this part here. Um, it says here, the worshippers of false gods clothed their deities with human attributes and passions, and thus their standard of character was degraded to the likeness of sinful humanity. This brings me to just think about mythologies, any kind of mythology, most famous, I think, Greek, Greek mythology. So think about it. People want to be like them. People want to be God, like gods. You know, they want to have all these powers, supernatural things. You know, Hollywood lets you do that. Even science wants to tell you that. But it's interesting because they they have all these powers and everything of what people want to define a god to be. But yet, they retain the sinfulness of humanity. And this was the kind of, this was the kind of God that is being worshipped for thousands of years, or gods, if they believe, you know, polytheism. And in line with polytheism, another issue here that was introduced before the flood was polygamy. That's in 91.3 now. So polygamy had been introduced. Um, if you read through Genesis, the early chapters, you, you, you'll find that in the readings of the genealogies. That somewhere down the line, right after Cain went away and, you know, was talking about he doesn't want to be, like, avenged or something and, you know stuff like that because he's the first guy to kill somebody another one of the descendants did the first polygamous move and you know stuff happened there you can read it in your bible interesting i won't spoil that one for you you can go ahead and read it for yourself so anyway another interesting part here is in the same paragraph they delighted in destroying the life of animals and the use of flesh for food rendered them still more cruel and bloodthirsty until they came to regard human life with astonishing indifference this is interesting here because destroying the life of animals and use of flesh for food so people ate flesh people ate meat before the flood but it's hard to put that with anything positive you know and of course you know we know that there is clean meat there is unclean meat we know that of course because one of the instructions that noah received was well he was told that the animals that went in there those that went in pairs were unclean those that were clean went by seven so, you know, you can see that right in there. So it might not be specified like in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, but the principle was already evident. You can see that. However, 
going back to the use of flesh for food, I don't know what to think of this. I can say my opinion in this, but what do you think about that statement? Anyway, that's something we could think about. Oh, and the next part here is Noah. I think Noah building the ark. Okay, so this is will this will probably take a long portion of my comments and reactions to this chapter because this this um, this part right here. Let me just summarize this, and I'll take this on a different journey. Okay, 120 years before the flood, the Lord by a holy angel declared to Noah his purpose and directed him to build an ark. This is in 92 paragraph 2. And in page 92 paragraph 3 it says that God gave Noah the exact dimensions and explicit directions to everything. So basically God designed this ark. Noah had no idea how to build this ark. I mean, as a matter of fact, if you ask me, or if you just ask me, it's not exactly Noah's Ark, right? I mean, usually we, we call objects by their owners, not by their builders, right? Like if you built something for somebody or, you know, whoever built it, what defines it is whoever owns it. So... I would like to say and remind everybody that this is God's ark where Noah is just a passenger of some sort or, you know, the builder of it. But design, purpose, dimension, ownership all belongs to God. Anyway, so it even says here, God was the designer, Noah the master builder. That's it. So I'm not going to go into the details of what it looks like. But this is where this is where I'm gonna start off this comment. I don't know if you've seen this meme on Facebook that says Grace didn't save Noah. Like, but obedience did. I don't know if you remember that part. So if you've seen that, I don't know. Here's my take on that. Um the part that says, grace didn't save Noah, obedience did. This is where I would tell people, go ahead and read Patriarchs and Prophets chapter 7. You know why? Let me tell you this. Sure, it looks like a really good meme to share. But in case you haven't noticed, the Bible literally says that Noah found grace the sight of God. I'm going to pull up that verse in a little while. But it's like we're taking away something here. We're taking I mean, my point here is I'm not I'm not saying that obedience is unnecessary. That's totally not the point. My point here is that my point is why are, why are we saying that grace has nothing to do with this? I'm pulling up Genesis 6, verse 8. It literally says, and I'm going to read this to you. It literally says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Okay. 
Now, I think it's interesting for me that the Bible starts out by describing Noah this way. And after saying that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, that's when God starts telling Noah what to do. Right? Okay. So you're probably going to argue, well, what saved him was still his obedience because the Lord told him to do all of this. And and verse 22 of Genesis 6 says, Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So did he. But, okay, in Genesis 7, verse 1, the Lord said to Noah, Come down all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Now, let me stop you right there. I'm talking about the meme. Grace didn't save Noah. Obedience did. I'm going to ask you this. Saved from what? Okay, now that's probably a weird question to ask. But think about it. Saved from what? Um, and then pointing out here, Genesis 7 verse 1. The Lord says to Noah, go into the ark, right? And he gives a reason. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Interesting. All right. Now let me get back to the topic. My take on this is that we need to be careful. You know why? It's nice to share memes. If you, you know, but let me just remind you of what the Bible literally says. Hebrews 11, verse 7, by faith. Yep, that's it. By faith, Noah, being one of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Now, let me tell you, of all the verses that I've read, what words were like ringing? We have faith. We have righteousness. We even had grace. And we have, we have Noah moving, right? We have Noah obeying. That's where the obedience part comes in. But let me tell you this. I'm not saying that Noah, if he didn't obey, he would still be saved. No, that's not my point. My point here is, did grace really not have that much of a part? Was obedience alone enough? Okay, let me bring this to you. It says here in paragraph, oh, page 95, Many at first appeared to receive the warning, yet they did not turn to God with true repentance. They were unwilling to renounce their sins. The difference that Noah gets from other people and that from everyone who received the message from God is that some were not willing to repent. It's, it's strange. Because when you think about it, you know, one thing that I remember is what about all these people who heard the message but didn't live long enough to actually get into the ark? Are they not saved? Like Methuselah. 
But anyway, here is one one little thing that I'd like to point out in the danger of just making obedience the whole thing and cutting out grace out of salvation, cutting out, not even giving any credit for faith in the picture, is that, let me tell you this. In page 98, paragraph 2, it says, Noah and his household were within the ark, and the Lord shut him in. Like, think about it. Even if Noah obeyed everything that the Lord told him to, which involves him getting into the ark, and nothing else happened, would that save Noah from the flood? That's what I'm asking. Was Noah walking right into the ark as a form of obedience on his part, enough to save him from the flood? And if you say yes, let me tell you this. Who's going to shut the door? Because God didn't tell Noah to shut the door. Because number one, Noah can't shut the door of the ark. Now you probably think that's that's understood. Yeah. But don't you think that means something? Noah obeyed to get into the ark. But what shut the door? To protect him. To actually make the ark functionable. You know, I'd like to believe that is grace from the Lord. You know what I mean? So, if I go on further here, the massive door which it was impossible for those within to close, mm -hmm, impossible, was slowly swung to its place by unseen hands. Now, that is a God of love, man. That is a God of mercy. No one was shut in and the rejectors of God's mercy were shut out. You see, that's where grace puts a divide in our choices. You know, it says here the seal of heaven was on that door. God had shut it and God alone could open it. You see, even if no went into that ark, if God does not open that ark, he's still going to die anyway. You know what I mean? So, and I'm literally, literally going to read this. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 98, paragraph 2, Then divine grace will no longer restrain the wicked, and Satan will have full control of those who have rejected mercy. I mean, we see here that, oh, wait a minute, you mean divine grace was restraining the wicked? You see there? You see, grace here is in the picture, and This, this is this is God, you know. God saved Noah. Let me just shortcut that part. And to put this simply, how was Noah saved? If you ask me, I would say by faith. Yes. I'm throwing the meme away. I'm not even going to try and attempt to reconstruct that whole meme. No. 
forget that meme. I don't I didn't make that meme. If you're if you're from if you've been sharing that, go ahead and check out who actually made that meme. You'd be surprised. But anyway, if you're gonna ask me, how was Noah saved? He was saved by faith. His faith in God's word allowed him to move, even if it didn't make any sense. And his faith, his faith in God is something that was not just something that he wanted to do because he wanted to save himself. You know, um, I mean, a lot of times people obey God, not because they have faith in God. Not because they are fueled by their love for God, as Noah did. Some people obey God because they're afraid of the consequences. They're, they're afraid of the, like, what happens in the story here is that when the storm came, you know, people started running toward the ark. They wanted to obey now. I mean, they could have obeyed then. But the difference was what was making them obey. So obedience in itself does not necessarily result to salvation. And to discredit grace and faith and righteousness, the righteousness through faith, and let me just read. The fact that we have from Genesis, you know, if you're reading it, the reason why Noah actually made it onto the ark is still something that God in his grace and his love enabled Noah to be able to respond to that love. Because, you know, we've, we've painted a picture of God and the story as someone who does not care, who's someone who looks at all these people, you know what, let me just do a reset button and, uh, yeah, and have eight people survive. You know, that's the kind of picture that we've, I don't know about you, but has been drawn about God. And and it's it's pretty sad. You know, that's that's not... That's not what God was trying to do. And in fact, I'm going to read, I'm going to go back a little. Page 97.2, paragraph 2, it says, Had the antediluvians believed the warning and repented of their evil deeds, the Lord would have turned aside his wrath as he afterward did from Nineveh. Like, man. Right? Like, isn't that crazy? So... This this chapter is interesting. There's a lot of things that I'm I really want to say in here. But I'm just gonna skip right to our times and you can read this. You, you can read this by yourselves over and over again. I mean, every time I read this chapter, something just blows my mind. So I encourage you to do that. Replay, reread, listen again. But before that, let me just cut to the last part of this comment section. The like I said, the parallelism of Noah's Ark, Noah's time, and our time. I'm going to read here from 98 paragraph 3. 
For seven days after Noah and his family entered the ark, there appeared no sign of the coming storm. Wow. Imagine being in there for a week. Nothing's happening. A week. No rain. No nothing. And can you imagine all the people gathering outside, taunting him, crying? And it says here, during this period, their faith was tested. It was a time of triumph to the world without. The apparent delay confirmed them in the belief that Noah's message was a delusion and that the flood would never come. And I'm going I'm to bring this to you, to today. We have, a, we have a message like Noah, telling the people of a coming storm, right? Of a coming storm. You can see this towards the end of this chapter. While everybody's having a great time, while everyone is absorbed in amusement and pleasure-seeking, and like in, that's in 103.1, when everyone is going through that, Christians are to sound a warning. And when the time comes, there will be a moment in history where all of the signs that we're saying will not look like they're going to happen. That all of the things that will be happening will look like we're wrong. Like in this very same chapter, it says here, people looked at the course of nature. Seven days, nothing happened. No rain wasn't there. Noah's been saying this for 120 years. Can you imagine that? Noah's been saying this stuff for 120 years. And they've been in that ark for seven days already. Nothing. But this is a time of test. It's a, it's a test of faith. It's a test of faith. And this test of faith is a time when the triumph of the world is being seen. Like we will be brought into a time where everything that we say about the Bible will be put into question. And the only thing that we can be sure of that these things are going to happen is not because of what we see during this time of faith testing or this time of great testing, but that the only thing that we can really tell ourselves that what is going to happen is going to happen is because the Bible says it, is because God says it. Like if the Lord says he will come back, you just have to believe it. Because there will be a time that the only thing that you can really tell yourself is what the Bible says. Not on what you see, not on what nature does, not on what the majority of the outside is saying. And this is the greatest test of faith. For Noah, we're, for Noah it was being in the ark, staying in the ark with nothing but God telling him, you know what? It's going to rain. For the first time in history, it's going to rain. Not only is it going to rain, it's going to rain really hard. And it's going to be flood, flooding everything and everybody else is going to die. And every animal is going to die. And Noah had to believe that. 
and one had to believe that with nothing else except God told him. We're going to have to face that same thing. 101.1 says another storm is coming. The earth will again be swept by the desolating wrath of God, and sin and sinners will be destroyed. The intense worldliness of that generation is equaled by that of the generation now living. Wow. And I'm going to jump out to 101.3. A similar condition of things exists now. That which is lawful in itself is carried to excess. Appetite is indulged without restraint. Professed followers of Christ are today eating and drinking with the drunken while their names stand in honored church records. You can read that yourselves here. And just to go up towards the end, major question for me would be, when we are brought into the same situation as Noah did face, you know, in that time, when we are in our own ark, God calls us to a place and when we start seeing nothing happening, when the only thing that we can hold on to is what he said in his word, when the whole world is shouting in triumph that they are right and you are wrong, when everybody else is having a good time, will I be able to have that faith that will allow me to endure until the end, until God delivers on what he says? And I'm going to leave you with that thought.